We've had opportunity to sing our praises and worship to our Lord, and now it's our privilege to be able to open God's Word and read from it in preparation for hearing the gospel of His Word as it is preached. And I invite you to turn in your copy of the scripture to 1 Peter chapter 5. You'll see it on our screens if you don't have a, your own Bible with you. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll begin with verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. If you're not already there, I do encourage you to go to First Peter chapter 5. We're going to be here for a few minutes this morning. I was going to do one more message from the book of Revelation. We'd already gone through all the letters um, uh, for those seven churches, but I was going to do a summary message, kind of go through each of the the letters again and uh, make some specific application about that. That was the original plan, but as I I began praying and thinking about this, um, I sense that our church could use some encouragement and hope right now. Uh, Life has been a roller coaster. For these past two years. Uh, for sure, we're not suffering like others in the world, but the trials of uh, pandemic and economic disruption, political upheaval, social, uh, societal confusion, uh, personal uncertainties that I know many of you are going through with different things going on in your lives, they tend to wear us down over time. And so, what I want to do is just pastorally open up this text and, and walk through it with you, if I may. Um, so really, this message is for several people today. Maybe you fall into one of these categories. This is for the servant who feels like they might be serving alone. This is for the man who might feel like an imposter, just trying to stay one step ahead of those he is trying to lead. Maybe it's to a parent who feels inadequate to the task of influencing their child in a world that seems to be going off the rails. Or maybe this is for the student who feels overwhelmed socially, spiritually, and academically. Maybe this message is for the retiree who wishes that abundance of energy and abundance of time, they overlapped better. (laughs) Maybe this is to the Christian who has slid into serving almost exclusively out of duty rather than delight. Maybe this is to the believer who knows their fellow Christian is not the enemy but is fighting feelings of irritation towards their brother or sisters. This could be for many other people, but these are some of the thoughts and emotions and situations that I sense that are happening uh, in our church and in the, the Christian church at large. 
And so the very basic truth that I want to remember, and I need to grab my remote here, the very basic truth that I would like us to remember of this message is that this, is that the Bible provides all the encouragement and hope necessary to endure suffering well, okay? So that the Bible provides all the encouragement and hope necessary to endure suffering well. Specifically, this text, I believe, is helpful to us. Because 1 Peter is, is a book that was written to people who were going through various trials. In chapter 1 and verse number 6, uh, Peter writes, he says, In this you rejoice, so now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And then in chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And then in verse 19, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so that's the theme of this book. The entire book of 1 Peter is about Christians who are suffering and are going through a difficult time. And so it's here at the end of Peter's letter that I believe we can find some encouragement and hope, not only just for the original audience that Peter is writing to, but to us today. So that's where we're going to go today. Encouragement and hope. Let's pray. Father, I want to pause now because um, your word is the source of encouragement and hope. And Father, I pray, I pray that we would, we would read it, we would study it, and we know that it's a source of encouragement and hope because of who it points us to. And so in these next few minutes as we look at this text, God, I pray that I would be able to communicate in a way that is helpful, that is spirit-led, and that is uh, accurate to the text. God, I pray that you'd remove distractions from us. Uh, there's a lot of things that are, 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 want our attention and want our thoughts right now. And we have an enemy that doesn't want us to think about this. We have an enemy that wants us to think about anything else except for you and your word. And so, Father, I pray, I pray that your spirit would, would protect us right now and that would remove distractions and that we would be a people who are, are focused in your word and that, that I wouldn't say anything that would be unnecessarily distracting or I wouldn't do anything that would hinder the message today. And, Father, I pray that no one here would do anything that would hinder receiving the message. And so, Father, may our hearts be open to you. And, and, and Spirit of God, I pray that we be sensitive to your leading. And Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you that you are the great example. And thank you that by looking to you, we can have encouragement and hope in any situation. And so, Father, we love you. And we ask that you would guide this time. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So, the Bible provides all the encouragement and hope necessary to endure suffering well. Let's look at the idea of encouragement for those suffering, looking at the text here. We started in verse 6 where it says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. And so, what, there's, there's really four areas of encouragement that, that, that Peter gives to the people who are reading this letter for the first time and to us many, many years later. And this first encouragement is this, is that he says, embrace humility here. And this is an imperative in the text. It's a command here where it says, you humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so the proper time he may exalt you. And the very first thing he says to people that are going through suffering, the people who are going through difficulty, the people who are, are, are wondering what is up and which way is down in this world, the very first thing he says to them in this section here, he says, I want you to humble yourself. Now, now, Peter gives us a couple reasons why we should humble ourselves, and then, and then even the how of we should embrace humility. 
And the, the first one is actually found in the verse before that we didn't read, okay? And we intentionally didn't read that because I want to bring it up here because I wanted you to see that there's a word therefore in verse 6. And, and whenever you see that word therefore, that always harkens back to something else, right? So it's a connecting a word that says, okay, therefore do this. Well, in order to understand what that's talking about, you've got to go back to this. And so here in verse 5, and in chapter 5 of verse 1, he starts talking about the elders and, and the church and how they should lead and things like this. And, and then he talks about those who are younger in verse 5. He says, those who are younger be subject to the elders. Now notice this. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you. So now he talked about the elders and he talks about the young people, but then he says, okay, all of you need to do this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your position in the church. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your maturity. All of you need to clothe yourselves, verse 5, in humility or with humility towards one another. For, and he says, here's the reason why, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says that God, in the way he writes this is in the continual idea, he says, God is consistently and continually opposing the proud of this world, but he's continually and consistently giving grace to the humble. So Peter then says in verse 6, humble yourselves therefore in the mighty hand of God. He says, because the first reason why we should humble ourselves, and this is the encouragement to those going through suffering, is that God resists the proud. Now note who we're told to humble ourselves towards. It says, under the mighty hand of God, right? So we humble ourselves to God's sovereign hand, and when we see what God is doing in our lives, instead of demanding something different, instead of shaking our fist at God, we humble ourselves to what God has in our lives, but also towards each other here in verse 5. I won't take time to develop that there, but I just think it's worth noting that we're told to humble ourselves towards one another. Because often the source of pride that creeps into our lives is when we feel that someone else has not treated us correctly. And so the first reason that Peter gives here to, uh, of why we should humble ourselves is because God resists the proud. But there's a second reason there. And we see this in verse 6. It says, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You see, not only does God resist the proud, but he does exalt in due time. You see, it's in our pride that we want all the ease and comfort now. We want people's respect now. We want all the things that we long for now. But, but, but notice here, he says that God will exalt you in due time or at the proper time. So we need to understand that God has the perfect time frame. And if we wonder if, if we are being asked to wait too long for something, we only need to look to Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus, we know in Philippians chapter 2, I prayed this in my prayer, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, right? We know that day is coming, but is that day today? No. But Jesus is waiting for that day. He's patient for the proper time. Remember the times in Jesus' earthly ministry when he was asked to do something, he says, it's not the right time yet. You see, if anyone is an example of patience and waiting for the proper time, it's Jesus Christ for us. And so if we're asked to wait, if we're asked to wait to, for life to get easier, if we're asked to wait for a burden to be lifted, or we're asked to wait to, for, for that problem to go away, and the proper time isn't right now, the proper response is to humble ourselves and be patient because we know that that time is coming, but apparently it is not right now. So the first reason is that God resists the proud. The second reason why we humble ourselves is because we know that in due time or the proper time, God will exalt us. 
You see, it's in our pride that we often fail to see the big picture and how suffering works in that. We want to avoid suffering at all costs. And let me tell you, I'm the first one, right? I'm not preaching a message to you as one that's figured this out. I'm not preaching this to you who one who has gotten to the place where every time something bad comes in my life, my first response is, you know, praise God for this. I'm I'm trying to figure this out with you. You know, one of the things that we need to understand, though, is in the big picture, that suffering is used for our sanctifying work, right? Revelation 5, I didn't put it in the notes. If you're writing notes, just write down, uh, not Revelation, I'm sorry, Romans. Romans 5, in the first few verses of Romans 5, we see the cycle that, that Paul talks about there and how that suffering is part of the process of us having greater hope, okay? Read through Romans 5, and you'll see how that suffering is part of having greater hope. It's, it's God's design. And so if, if we're just going to try to eradicate that, we're just going to move past that, then, then in pride we're saying we deserve something different. But he says, here, humble yourselves, therefore, and understand that in due time, at the proper time, God will exalt you. So how do we do this, though? So there's a couple of reasons that we humble ourselves, but, but how is it? Well, well, look at verse 7 of the text here. It says, casting all your anxieties on him before he cares for you. This is answering the question of how we're supposed to humble ourselves. This is when he says, humble yourselves, therefore. And then in verse 7, he says, casting all your anxieties on him. He's telling us how we humble ourselves and, and the pathway to doing that. And the only time this word is used is only used one other time in the New Testament, and that's in Luke chapter 19, and that's in the story of when the, the people, they take off their coats and they cast it on the ground, they cast it on the, the animal for Jesus to sit on. And it's a very powerful word picture that it's saying here is that we take our anxieties and we literally take them off and we cast them over onto God, right? Okay. Now, now think about the picture. The only other time this is used is when someone was taking a coat off and either put it on the ground or on the back of the animal for Jesus to ride on. Now, now think about if, if they only did this like halfway. If they said, you know what, I kind of like my coat, but my coat also needs to be used for this. And so we're going to take this off a little bit and so we're going to put half of it on and I'm wearing half of it, and then Jesus gets on the animal, and they start going down the road. Think of how absurd that would look, and how that, that would just not work at all, right? And that's the point here. The point is, is that we take our anxieties, instead of harboring them, instead of trying to, to work harder at getting through them, we take them, and we cast them on God himself. That's how we humble ourselves. It's just, it's, I can't get through this. I, I, all these things that, that are, are weighing me down, that are frustrating me right now, instead of, instead of me trying to figure out all the paths of this, I need to say, God, you, you've got to take care of this. And, and God, show me what I need to do here. But God, th- this is you. This is not me. I know that I can't figure this out on my own. But notice this part. It says, cast your own anxi- anxieties on him. And the last part of verse 7 is, because... He cares for you. Please don't skim over that. Please don't, don't just read that like, okay, yeah, of course God cares for me. And whoa, 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 stop. Stop for a second. Go, go back and look at that. You need to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That, that's an amazing concept. That, that, that God, I mean, God has a lot of important business to attend to, right? Okay? He's got this whole universe thing that he's got to manage, right? But yet, we're told in the scriptures that he cares for you. 
I mean, how many times has, has, has someone come up to you with a problem and you're like, I don't have time for this, right? How many times has someone come up to you with a situation and you feel like, listen, I'm not the person to deal with this, right? How many times has, has maybe, maybe what, what, you know, your child was young or something like this and they come to you with this really terrible burden and par- problem in their eyes and you're looking at it like, this is nothing. And you're, you're trying not to laugh when they're telling you about what's going on, right? You see, that's not what God has here. That's not his attitude. It says that we cast our anxieties on him because he wants them and he cares for us because he knows that by ourselves we're just going to be frustrated. But if we give them over to him, he's going to lead us and he's going to guide us. He's going to take us safely through it and he's going to care for us all along the way. So when you read this verse, please don't, don't skip over that and say, well, of course God cares for me. That should, that should cause us to stop and just worship God for a few minutes when we see this. That God, the creator of the universe, he cares. So whatever frustration you're dealing with, whatever anxiety that you're dealing with, whatever disappointment is in your life right now, Jesus cares about it. God cares about it. The scriptures tell us so. And we're asked to submit ourselves in humility to God here. But notice how God is described under the mighty hand of God. If we were asked to submit ourselves to a weak God, it would be simply awful. But we're told to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And think about this. This is the, the mighty hand of God, who, the one who, as I said a minute ago, created the, the, the world. This is the mighty hand of God to one of the prophets was, was hungry and God provided food miraculously by ravens. This, this is the God who miraculously brought a group of people out of Egypt. This is, this is the mighty God who, who Jesus, while was walking on water, right, in the storms, and he said, peace be still, and the waves stopped. This is, this is the mighty God who Jesus, Jesus looked at someone who couldn't see, and then he touched their eyes, and then they could see immediately. This is the mighty God who a man had a leprous hand, and God touched his hand, and he was made clean, right? This is a mighty God who people who were coming up on a, on a body of water, and they needed to cross it, and as soon as the heel touched the water, it spread onto dry land so the people could walk forward. This is, this is the mighty God who there was a, a servant who was leading Israel into battle and he was greatly outnumbered, incredibly outnumbered. It was just a bunch of clay pots. They won the battle. This is the mighty God that we are told about here that we are to humble ourselves under, right? And so, so, so this is not a weak God. This is not a God who's up in heaven going, you know, man, 2020, 2021, this is a bad time. This is a bad deal. We should, I, Jesus, we should come back in 1999, right? You know what I mean? You know, this, is, this, is, this is not what's going on. This is a mighty hand that is sovereignly controlling and ruling. And yeah, we have things that we need to do. We have our responsibilities. But we are under the mighty hand of God himself. And so we humble ourselves with him. This is the encouragement, folks. The encouragement is that my path out of frustration or my path out of depression and your path out of discouragement is not about getting ourselves better. It's about humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God and saying, you are good. I need to move on. Not only the encouragement comes in this text that says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, but look in verse 8. He says, be sober-minded. And so here we have this command really to recalibrate our thinking here. 
Be sober-minded means clear your mind. And literally, we could say, shake the cobwebs out, okay? You see, we typically do our worst thinking in our lowest moments. And here, Peter is saying, hey, clear your minds. Okay, recalibrate your thinking here. We have to reduce noise in our lives because it contributes to terrible thinking. And so we need to ask ourselves, what do we know, what, what, what do we know to be true about God? And we, we just talked about two things just a second ago. He's mighty, right? Is that encouraging to you to think about how mighty God is, right? And so, so this is what we need to do, recalibrate our thinking, okay? What do we know about God? He's mighty. We also talked about something a second ago that it should be incredibly encouraging to you, and that is that he cares. And so in just this text, we, two things we know to be true about God is that he's mighty and that he cares. But we've often said that, listen, you can get through anything in life if you're rock solid about two things about God, and that is that he's good and he's all-powerful, right? And he has to be both. He's got to be good and all-powerful because he was only good, uh, but he's not all-powerful. He could have the best intentions in the world for us, but he wouldn't have the power to make them happen. But if he was all-powerful but wasn't good, then he would definitely use his power for our disadvantage, not our advantage. But when we see that the scriptures teach that God is good and he is all-powerful, that is a wonderful God that we can submit to. That is a wonderful God that we can find great encouragement from. And so we got to recalibrate our thinking about what we know to be true about God. And so here, Peter, he says, listen, you need to humble yourselves. And he says, be sober-minded. As I said a second ago, we typically do our worst thinking in our lowest moments. And this is why people tell you, don't make major decisions when you're under a lot of stress, right? Okay, people make incredibly unwise decisions. I'm reading a, a book right now. It's a uh, kind of a memoir by Phil Vischer. I don't know if you recognize that name. Phil Vischer was the guy who uh, created VeggieTales, okay? And so this is, the name of the book is Me, Myself, and Bob. And um, so, and so I'm reading, I'm almost done with it. And just a, a fascinating story about the, really the rise and fall of VeggieTales and, and how, uh, uh, what he contributed to that. And it's a very honest take on it of what happened. It was number one for so long. It was huge. It was massive. And then the, basically the company went bankrupt, okay? And and so he's telling the story, right? And this theme came through of like, in the most stressful moments, there were some really bad decisions, business decisions that he made, and he's owning them in this book. It's a fascinating read. And so I think this is a, a, a very wise piece of advice under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the Apostle Peter gives to his original audience and then by extension to us. And he says, clear your thinking, Take time to recalibrate your thinking because when we're stressed, we start thinking and we start listening to lies. And we start listening to things that are not true. And we start believing things that are against the scriptures in some ways. And we start, and it's usually not anything major right away or obvious, but it's a heart that's inclined and moving away from God. We start separating ourselves from other believers and we start, you know, the Bible stays on the shelf one extra day longer than two extra days. And, and we're we're not thinking about God. And in all this, and what, what Peter's saying here is recalibrate your thinking. And let me just encourage you, one of the ways to do this, you've got to re reduce the noise in your life. There's a lot of noise coming at us, a lot of noise, okay? It, it, it may mean that we just do a social media and a news fast for a while and say, you know what, I've got to reduce the noise. 
We we hear opinions and things all the time and all these uh, 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 theories of this on both sides of every argument and everything. And at sometimes, and I'm not saying don't stay informed, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that there are times where we just have to reduce the noise. So let me just encourage you to think about that. Think about what noise you should be reducing in your life and how you might be, how you may need to recalibrate your thinking about God. I need to move on. There's a third thing, uh, a third uh, encouragement in this text. He says, focus your attention. Be watchful, he says. Verse 8, he says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's telling us here, we got to be awake and we got to be watchful because we have an enemy. Did you notice the the words that he uses there? He, He prowls around and he seeks someone to devour. I mean, these are very vivid terms that he uses here to describe Satan. He's like a, he's like a lion. Now understand this. This is, let me tell you this to be true about Satan, all right? He loves our weariness. He loves it when we're tired. He loves it when we're frustrated. He loves it when we're feeling run down. Those are the times where Satan just begins to lick his chops, right? When he sees a Christian just getting worn down. And this is one of the reasons why I'm concerned for churches at large in our church. I'm concerned because I see a weariness. I see a battle, a road weariness that's happening in my own soul. And I believe it's happening with the people I love so much. And so let me just just warn us. We've got to be watchful here because it's in these moments that Satan licks his chops. He looks for the frustrated. He seeks the isolated. And notice what he wants to do here. He's seeking someone to devour. The word there is so powerful and so vivid, has the idea of gulping down in one bite. So think about what you've seen in like National Geographic, the crocodile in the river and getting its prey. And then what does the crocodile do? It just kind of opens its mouth and swallows it down. Think of a a snake that that eats the whole, the the prey whole. This is exactly the term here that is being used here. This is not a, a, a simple meal. This is, I want the entire person devoured. That's our enemy. And we need to be watchful. Remember that the enemy that we're fighting against is not a fellow Christian. That's why we're told in verse 5 to Humble ourselves towards one another. The enemy is Satan. Peter's admonition here is that we must never forget that we're at war. Please don't ever forget that we're at war, a spiritual war. There's an enemy who wants to break up your marriage. There's an enemy who wants to see this church dissolved. There is an enemy who wants you to fail. There is an enemy who wants to see you and to, wants you to feel isolated and alone. Be watchful. Please don't play into his strategy. To understand that I think one of the biggest mistakes that we can make is that we forget that we are at war with Satan and that there is, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rules or darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is the admonition of the New Testament. Please, my friends, please let us not get it out of the wartime mentality that we are at war against Satan and we need to resist him firm in our faith. That's our next point. That We'll get to in a second here. We need to put on the whole armor of God, like Ephesians says, that we may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. But be watchful, Peter says. 
Understand, we need to focus our attention that we are in a spiritual war. And then there's that last one that I told you about, this last encouragement before I share two brief hopes, is that we need to fight tenaciously. Resist him, verse 9 says, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist him. How do we do this? A couple ways. He says by being firm in our faith. Think back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve have one rule, right? They have one rule to follow. And that was a, they could eat of all the trees. I mean, every tree. And it was good. We know that creation was good. God said it was good. The food was good in that garden. But there was one tree where God says, don't eat of that one. Okay? And then one day, the enemy that we're supposed to be watchful against, that same enemy, goes to Eve. And what was the basic question he put in Eve's mind? Did God really say? Hmm. Let me think back on it. What did God say? Well, God said this. Well, no, 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 no. When God said this, this is really what he meant. Okay? You see, when God, when God says that, you, you know, in the day that you eat of it, surely die, he says, you know, listen, don't eat the tree of knowledge of good and evil because, you see, what, God, you see, what God's not telling you here is that if, if, if you eat of this, then you're going to be kind of like him. And he doesn't want that. And he's kind of selfish. And, I mean, he's a pretty good guy overall, but he's a little selfish in this area. And so I don't think, you know, it's not as bad as you think it is. And you know the rest of the story. You know, Eve ate and Adam's standing right there next to her. She takes the bite, hands him the fruit, whatever it is. We're not told what fruit it is. Hands it next to him. He eats of it. And we're dealing with sin's curse ever since. It all started because an enemy said, did God really say? Questioned God's word. Doubted it just a little bit. We need to fight tenaciously. And how we fight tenaciously is we have to be firm in our faith. This is why it is so important for you to know your Bibles and to take advantage of every opportunity to know God through his word. This is why it's so important. This is how we fight against the devil. This is why we fight against our enemy. And let me tell you, the the level of biblical literacy is plummeting. And it's leading people to walking away from God every day. I see this trend. I, I see people who, who they've grown up in church and for whatever reason, they, they haven't read their Bibles or they haven't learned about God. And then, and then they just walk away because they, they get a few questions. Did God really say this? Or, or does God really mean this? Or is this, this regulation in the Bible, this is kind of outdated. And, and, then, and then there's these basic arguments. And, and I, I frustrate my, it frustrates me to no end because I see plenty of Christians falling away to some of the most basic arguments. And the, it's like, well, you know, this rule says this in the Old Testament, but then, then this rule's there, so now you're just picking and choosing your rules, and so that's why we should reject the whole thing. And several Christians are like, oh, man, that makes sense. And like, what are you talking about? That's one of the easiest arguments to overcome. But people don't know their Bibles. This is the reason why we're trying to have that balance here. We're trying to make sure that, that we teach biblically. We're trying to afford opportunities. You know, we had, a, we had an adult discipleship hour today, and Jason did a great job of walking us through Philippians, excuse, Philippians, Proverbs 4. I really was paying attention. Proverbs 4, right? Okay? And, and, and it's just, just good. 
These are great opportunities. We have people every week that are, are willing to teach our children at, at Awana and on Sunday mornings. These are good things that we're trying to bring up our children and nurture and admonition of the Lord because firm in our faith is how we fight tenaciously. But, but notice there's another thing here. There's this other phrase here that it may seem a little out of place, but it is so important here. It says, resist and firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He's like, well, why did he put that in there? Well, this is one of the ways that resist the devil. Because a strategy of the enemy is to make us feel alone and isolated. And we think if we are the only ones suffering, and if we think that to be true, then, then we doubt that God's goodness and his plan in our lives. If we feel like we're the only ones suffering, if we're the only ones going through a difficult time, then we're going to question God's goodness towards us. But if we realize, wait a minute here, this suffering is happening all over the world because this is God's plan for his people to grow in a sanctifying relationship with him. Then we realize, wait a minute, no, this is actually a good thing, okay? Or there's benefit to this, and now I don't have to question God's goodness towards me. But you see, what Satan wants, us to do is he wants us to feel like we are the only ones struggling, or we're the only ones feeling alone, or we're the only ones that don't have friends, or we don't have many close relationships, and we're the only ones, we look around and we see people, we see people laughing in the hallway, and we think, man, I wish I had friends like that. But what we don't realize is that that person is probably wishing the same thing. We see people, what they post on social media and stuff, and think, man, that's a great life. They think, well, I wish I had that. And they don't realize what's really going on in the home. Let me tell you, we, you are not alone. If you're frustrated or if you're going through a trial or you're going through difficulty or you're having a, a, a difficulty in life, let me tell you, you are not alone. And this is one of the reasons why Peter says, listen, you resist him knowing that you're not the only one. Because if you believe that you're the only one, you're going to question God's goodness. You're going to question God's plan in your life. But when we see that, no... We're all part of a group that's going through suffering. And you know what? There's a bond that happens when we realize that. Some of the closest, the most sweetest years of my Christian life came right after a horrible church split. We went through a church split, and it was ugly. It was terrible. I, I, I look back in those moments and I think, whew, those were hard moments. My wife and I, Anouk and I, we were married for a couple months. And we came back, and the church split, right? She didn't have a green card yet. She couldn't work. I was making very little money as a youth pastor. I came home from a meeting when I knew the church was going to blow up, and I was going to resign. And, and uh, I came home. We've been married a couple months at this point. One month, she's telling me, one month uh, at this point. And uh, I, uh, I remember coming home to our apartment, and I told her, I said, well, sweetie, she says, how did the meeting go? And I said, well, sweetie, you remember in our vows a month ago, when I said, for richer or for poorer, she said, yeah. I said, we're not richer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm hoping you hang on to these vows, right? And I never doubted that. You know, God did a, a work after that, and a few years after that, a church started, and, and we were part of that start, and, and all that. And let me tell you, it was one of the sweetest times. Because what drew us together was that we had walked through suffering together. 
We would walk through that, and we identify that in each other, and, and, and we sympathize with each other, and we, we felt this bond with each other that, okay, we've walked through this really, very, very difficult thing, and it really felt like Psalm 23 in many ways, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And it was during those moments with those other believers and at a time where we were leaning on Christ together, it was almost like we, we put our arms together and we, we, we huddled up and we just all looked up to God and we were all weary and we were all beaten down and we were all tired and we looked up to heaven and God was gracious towards us. I think what happens sometimes though is when we feel like we're the only one going through something, we step away. We want everyone else to have their fellowship because surely I'm the outcast. Surely I'm the one that is different here, and so I'm going to step away here. And my friend, you're playing right into Satan's hand when you do that. We, we have to be a people who are, are leaning on each other and collectively looking to God. This is why Peter says, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being going through the, the entire world. And let me tell you, whatever you're walking through, Someone else in this room is walking through a similar thing. It may not be the exact same thing. Trials are unique. But let me tell you, someone has either already walked through it or they're currently walking through something that you're going through right now. And we need to lean on each other, collectively looking to heaven for God's grace. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble here. And so we resist him by knowing that others are suffering as well. And this is why we harp on gathering together as a church. This is why we keep saying small groups are beneficial. Because we want people to be together and leaning on each other, collectively looking to Christ. If we know that this life is difficult for all believers, we're encouraged to band together instead of avoiding or worse, fighting each other. We must band together and fight the enemy tenaciously. I don't know about you, but I am tired of seeing Satan sow seeds of discord among believers. I am tired of Christians living as if we're defeated. We have got to fight tenaciously. We need to fight like we're the third monkey on the ramp to the ark, and it's starting to rain, folks. Okay? All right? This has got to be something that we are saying, I am not going to let Satan get a foothold here. We are going to be a people who are banded together in Christ Jesus. This is the encouragement that Peter gives here. He says, be humble, think clearly, be alert, fight tenaciously. Now quickly, and this is going to be a lot shorter, the majority of the message was on the front half, hope for the suffering. Okay, so that was the encouragement. Be humble, think clearly, be alert, fight tenaciously. Where's the hope? Well, the hope is, first of all, that suffering is temporary. It says, and after you've suffered a little while, verse 10, after you've suffered just a little while, all right, it's not permanent. Hope comes in knowing, knowing that relief is just over the hilltop. Jesus' example is helpful here. He lived for 30-some-odd years waiting to accomplish his father's plan. And he could, wish, he could patiently wait for the cross and the resurrection. And how could he do that? Because he knew that the process was part of the plan. He knew that his life of obedience was, was so important to the cross and the resurrection. If he didn't live the life of obedience for those 30-some years, his death and his resurrection would mean nothing. To us, And so instead of just waiting and, and thinking that the process was, it was separated from the plan of God, he knew that it was together. And the same is true with us. The same is true with us. We're waiting for hope to come. We're waiting for the appearance of Jesus Christ. But we have to realize that the process, the suffering, the difficulty, the hard moments, that's all part of the plan. 
It's part of a plan to glorify God. It's part of a plan for us to grow closer to God. It's part of the plan to point people to Christ. And so the process of suffering is part of God's sanctifying plan for us. And then once we get to the other side, here's the hope. For a little while, once we get to the other side, there's no more suffering. There's no more dealing with sin's effects on our lives in this world. I think every Christian needs to memorize this verse here, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be real to us. I think every one of us has to have this verse memorized. It's got to be something that we are able to quote, and then when doubt comes in our way, and, and we're, we're wondering, we're feeling beat down about this world, and we're so distressed about the, the direction of this world, we need to go, but I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be, re, re, to be revealed to us. This is the hope for the believer. Suffering is temporary. But that leads us to the second hope, is that glory is eternal. It says, and after you've suffered for a while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory. This is the hope, is that we as believers, we're called to an eternal glory. This is what we're called to. This is what we're marching towards. This is what we have in our future for all eternity, an eternal glory. This is our hope. And notice it says what will happen. We will be restored in verse 10, confirmed, strengthened, and established. I don't think we should take time to try to parse each one of those words. I think it's what Peter's doing there. He's using many synonyms to just to show how great of the glory that we have ahead of us. He says, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So these are the opposite of feelings that we often feel in this life. We don't always feel firm or strong or established. We don't always feel like we are restored. We understand that we need that, but understand glory is eternal. But notice who does this. He himself. God himself. This goes back to the beginning, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He cares for you so much that he's not going to farm this out. He's not going to you know, outsource this responsibility to someone else. He himself will restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you for all eternity. This is the hope that we have. Suffering is short-term. Glory is eternal. So if you're weary, know that God will strengthen you. We cast our anxieties on him. It starts with humility. God, resist the proud. So ask yourself, what might you need to be repenting of this morning? We talked about recalibrating your thinking. What have you forgotten about God? How has the noise of this world clouded your thinking? We, we said, don't forget that you're at war. Resist the devil, and we're told that he will flee from you. Know that this world is temporary. Live for the eternal life and the new creation. Don't plant our roots so deep in the world that is just passing away here. 